0: Welcome to Invest Stories, a podcast about real stories, real estate, and taking real action. Join hosts John Cooper and Kyle Robertson as they talk investing, mindset, and taking that first step. We all have a story. What's yours? The Investories Podcast. Welcome to Wednesday Wins. We're talking all about the wins and successes and uh, failures in part of our, our guest today, but also actions you can take to get started on your journey or level up, kind of where you're at in your investing journey. Uh, so we're super excited to bring you that that content. Don't forget to jump on social media and reach out to us, Investories Pod, uh, on Instagram, on TikTok. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel link in the comments. Uh, below and uh, yeah you know let us know how you're winning today how things are going and uh, if you're liking the new format um, so I guess the next phase of that and um, we're probably skipping a bunch of phases in terms of project planning and um, and that kind of stuff and that kind of design um, do you do, speaking of which do you have like a cookie cutter series of designs or is everything there custom
1: or bespoke? So, I, so um, uh, similarly to the general contracting world, how we don't self-perform anything. We hire out all the subcontractors to build the project for us. That's what we do on the design side as well as as the, as the developer. I don't currently have an in-house architect or in-house interior designer or in-house civil engineer or structural engineer or geotechnical company we hire out all of that um so we hire an architect we hire the whole design team and so that's how we have to make sure that the team that we're hiring um is a good one because if the architect doesn't put together good plans they can't be built well by our construction or our, our general contracting business then it's it's harder to get the project built so what I'm trying to say is, long-windedly, is that each project we have um, uh, a creative new architectural plan. I like it, and that, uh, Alex, that's the
0: perfect segue into my next question, which was, how do you pick good, um, I guess, including architects and engineers and people like that, but how do you pick good contractors, and how do you, how does that process work, and how do you manage them from a distance?
1: So good. I mean, good question. Dude. I mean, honestly, it's like it's a lot of relationship base. I mean, I'm looking at the architect's experience. I'm looking at the projects that they've uh, designed in the recent past. Um, you know, if I'm in the future trying to do a mixed use or apartment complex building, uh, I'm not going to hire an architect that's only worked in the single family home space. Um, so I wanna make sure the, the design that I'm projecting and trying to develop on, on the lot that the architect has the experience in, that, in, in doing previous designs um, of, that, of that type or similar type. Um, and then same thing for the subs. So uh, I make sure that the subs that I'm getting bids from have experience building the same type of structure that I'm trying to build. So it just, it's just, it's an experience piece, um, it's a relationship piece, uh, and I, especially on the design side, I love, I love architects that know the code well, they go out there and hustle, that, you know, can actually inform me of things that I didn't know, um, and then, you know, honestly, whenever I, you know, that's the case, even on, even on the subcontractor side, I'm like, okay, I think I need to really consider hiring this person.
0: Yeah, I guess it's like, there's an exchange with an architect, right? That you don't you want them to feed back and say, "Have you yeah. thought about not just, oh, let me draw that for you."
1: Here you go. Right. Well, <laughs> well the example is this is like, you know, if I'm if I'm trying to build a, you know, in Tampa, if I'm trying to build a 6,000 square foot house on a lot in one of those neighborhoods in the, like say say the Beach Park area, and the city comes back and says, "No, you can't do that. You can only do a 5,500 square foot house." If I don't, if if I'm not aware that the city's wrong, uh, I'm just going to say, "All right, mm-hmm. cool. I'll I'll build a smaller, house, a, a smaller house." Well, if the architect who should know the code better than I do, because I'm hiring them for that, responds back to the city, "Hey, if you reference development code X Y Z and presents that to the city and, and convinces the city, hey, we can actually we can actually build a six thousand square foot house here, um, then." you know, I, I know that I've hired the right person. Mm-hmm.
0: No, I, I, I really like that. I, really, I think yeah. that's um, sage-like advice, right? Um, have you had yeah. kind of, in terms of then experience with, with contractors, have you had any kind of nightmares or
1: challenges
0: or what, what, what does that look like?
1: Um, well, I mean, no, I mean, any, I think any nightmare is relative because it just depends on how you take it. I mean, in the construction world, there's going to be massive, you know, cost increases. There's going to be unforeseen conditions. There's going to be, you know, change orders that come that you're like, oh my God, this is going to totally break our construction budget. But at the end of the day, you have to remain like at a higher level perspective of like, you know, we're going to get through this. Mm -hmm. You know, this sucks, but let's use this as a learning experience in the future. Um, And as far as like many bad experiences i can't really say that there was many it's just you know a lot of comments that i personally get you know i'm 29 years old and a lot of these subs that i'm like writing the contracts for with the specific scopes um getting them to sign the contracts date them you know initial them so that we have an agreement to move forward um is that we'll get into the project um and they'll disagree with something that i'm saying and and they'll be like Man, I've been doing this for thirty-five years, dude. You're twenty. You know, I've been doing this longer than you've been alive. Like, you don't know anything. <laughs> and so, you know, I just kind of like I'll, I'll shrug it off, laugh, be like, "Yeah, totally." Like, you've, you you know way more than I do. But we have this agreement that you signed, and you have to move forward with this. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, it's it's because I think you know when you when people refer to contractors, especially in the renovation world, there's a lot of negative talk about them because. They're just, you know, they're perceived as liars and you know guys that run away and don't do great work. And so, I'm trying to flip the script mm-hmm. with, with the uh, understand with the uh, current perspective of contracting because I think, you know, you do you can get affected if you let it affect you, mm-hmm. um, but if you don't let it affect you. And you can just shrug it off, laugh about it, and be like, "Dude, this sucks right now, but we got to figure this out. So let's, you know, let's put our heads together, and so we can push our project forward."
0: We've only had positive experiences with with uh, contractors here, and our limited um, work we've had done on a few different uh, different places. That's and, good. Um, and it's it's kind of interesting, right? It's um, you should shop for value rather than price. <laughs> I guess is my takeaway, right. like a lot of things in life. Um, so yeah, it's. It's super interesting to, you know, don't, don't order things by the cheapest, order it by the, uh, the best value.
1: That's a good point. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a really good point because in, in my world, typically the guy that comes in at the lowest on the contracting side versus somebody that comes in the middle or highest price point, typically the, you know, not all the time, but five to six times out of 10, the, the guy that's in the middle, um, will typically be the best option price-wise and Mm -hmm. and experience-wise. It's like
0: ordering wine in a restaurant.
1: Yeah. Go for the
0: middle one. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, pretty much, (laughs) totally.
0: Love that. Um, No, that's that's awesome. I think um, what's what's interesting is um, kind of how you underwrite and how you're changing that. In you know, with changing rates, and you said cost, you know, cost per square foot of development. What what does that look like uh, today? Is there is there kind of different math you're having to apply?
1: Yeah. So how do I explain this like the fastest way possible? So my my current roles as the owners of these companies um, that, that I have are um, investor relations, so bringing in investor money, uh, acquisitions. So I have to know how to underwrite the deal. Uh, to be able to submit an offer and then to be able to pitch the investors on the return that they would get at the numbers that I'm projecting um, uh, and then the numbers like vary from location to location. so for example, like Tampa you can build luxury products at225 dollars a square foot on the construction side um, in Austin, you can build a luxury product for three for three hundred and twenty-five dollars to four hundred dollars a square foot, on on the construction side, and then in San Diego it's four hundred dollars to four fifty, a square foot. So as you get up to those different levels of markets, uh, you know the construction values change, which um, uh, affects the numbers, uh, and all that stuff. So. I mean, I have a spreadsheet that I throw everything in. I'm making sure that I'm reviewing the the development codes. Um, I I make sure that I have good architects, good um, land attorneys, um, arborists, uh, surveyors, um, uh, geotech people that can do the uh, soils test reports, uh, zoning consultants, all those types of people that are on the initial – purchase review side of hey you know they can call this out and say hey Alex this is not a good deal I know you I, like I know you ran the numbers on this but there's the, the reason why this is not a good deal is xyz And I'm like all right you've been doing this longer than I have this is your expertise lane I'm like all right I'm dropping this one I'm moving or they may tell me the other the other way around yeah. Dude, this is a great deal let's let's move forward
0: yeah best money you're ever going to spend right we we're on a we're on a canyon and we got a geological uh, survey done it was like 400 bucks and the guy came out and did some tests and it, you know, he's like, Oh, it's all good. I'm like, sweet, best $400. <laughs> when yeah. I'm asleep in my bed on the side of a Canyon, I'm not
1: going to just you slide cut, it's right. It's always, uh, it's always a cover in <laughs> your ass so for sure. Yeah.
0: No, I love that. I think that's uh, that's, that's really fair. Um, in yeah. terms of, um, the, I guess the, um, investor side, how does, how does that work? Do you have a, do you mail out to people or how do you, how do you work that
1: side? So I, my, my investor strategy is a 506C, which that term means uh, I only take on accredited investors. Um, and it, it typically, you know, each project varies but um, on the minimum investment. But the bare minimum investment, um, depending on the structure, is typically a $100,000 investment. Um, and that can change depending on the project. Um, you know, there's a project in Tampa that I have in our contract right now that's going to be $200,000 minimum investment. Um, and so how that works is I underwrite the deal. Um, the investor makes or um, I factor in an 8% targeted annualized preferred return on the money that's given from the investors um, at an at a 18-month hold for a single-family house, and then for them to make more on their investment money, uh, I give 15 to 25 percent of the back end uh, value of of the of the structure once it's built. So those two percentages added together, um, I underwrite at a minimum 30 percent return wow. um, in 18 months. And so how that works is, John, is um, say for example for this Tampa deal. You know, I need nine hundred thousand dollars from investors for for the deal to work and go through. So how that, um, and I'm underwriting the deal at an eight percent preferred return and a fifteen percent um, profit split on on the end value, um, which equals the thirty percent. I create an address LLC for the purchase of whatever you know. Say it's a one two three Main Street. In Tampa, um, I create one two three Main Street LLC, and the investors who invest the nine hundred thousand, they own fifteen percent of that LLC, and then I own the eighty five percent as the majority owner, um, and that's created for the purchase of the lot, and so ultimately, you know, I've seen. So many guys and gals run around in this real estate, residential real estate development space, and just find a lot, build it, and sell it. And I've had, you know, I don't even have enough fingers on my hand of guys and gals that have been older than me, that have white hair, that are twenty, ten years older than me, thirty years older than me, that have told me, "It's like, man, Alex, I really wish I would have held on to more of my mm-hmm. products that I built." Whenever I was your age, and so I'm just like, man, I'm not going to be one of those one of those people that's going to be older and be, and be like, dang, I really wish I held on to more of these luxury products. And so ultimately, how I uh, how I underwrite and structure the deal from the start is for the investors to be paid back through a back end refi, and then I pull out equity and cash um, from the deal because I'm my development loan is not as leveraged as other people. So I I try to target at 75% LTC or below, which means that I'm putting down 60 to 75% down on the lot purchase. More times than not, I may just buy the lot 100% cash. So what that does is that decreases the construction loan and that decreases the lender loan mm-hmm. so that whenever I finish the product, when I'm trying to pay them back with the refi, then that that loan amount's lower. Mm-hmm. And so then that gives me more equity into the actual deal um, after that development loan's paid off. And so in theory, there's enough equity in the deal to cash out a portion of the equity and pay back the investors with their original investment with their preferred return. And then with the profit split of the end value of the product, if there is not enough equity um, gap or um, equity margin to get the uh, the full cash out to pay them back from the you know to, to meet the 30% return in 18 months, then we'll pay out as much as we can. Mm-hmm. And then what's ever left over of the initial investment that they gave, I roll that investment into... The hold of the project, and so then over time I get the luxury rents per month, and I pay them. You know, after paying the mortgage, I pay them all the profits of those rents directly to the investors until they're fully paid off.
0: Wow!
1: Once and then when they're fully paid off, they still own a portion of the asset, and then and then they get mailbox money. That's so, awesome. You know, yeah, so it it can it can work in both scenarios. I just dude, I'm 29. I don't want to be 49 to be like, "Damn, I really wish that I held on to more of these things because nobody in my family's doing this and I want to be doing commercial projects." And so, you know, in theory, hopefully 5 years from now I have 3 to 5 uh, builds that, you know, I bought, purchased, you know, I bought, developed, built and held on to whether it's with investors or not partnered up all the end um, where they're in Austin, Tampa, and San Diego. And then if I need to sell any of them, I can, or I can just hold on to them and then I can then scale up to the more commercial side of development um, after this, after the success in the residential single family town home townhome side. So um, there's more of a long-term play here for sure. That's so
0: cool. I bet your investors are happy with that uh, with all that's going on in the market to have that
1: with extra yeah, head, 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 head. I, I, I haven't seen <laughs> I, I haven't seen many people in my space offer that level of return with this you know given the market mm-hmm. status so I mean you know I send out monthly investor emails um, and just make sure that I'm communicating with them religiously of what's going on if we're ahead of schedule <clears throat> if we're behind schedule uh, and all that stuff I mean on our on our um, construction side we utilize a software excuse me that that tracks the the construction schedule it has all the estimates in there so that it can just spit out like a monthly report and it shows them where we're at in the construction process and all that stuff so
0: yeah transparency um is always good as an investor and uh yeah I, I i invest in in actually similar um you don't get any ownership but i get a 30 percent over two year return um, through my retirement account in the UK. Okay.
1: Um, well, man, I mean, if you uh, if you're
0: yeah, open we'll, to invest, we'll invest have to in... have a conversation. <laughs> <got> a <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, that sounds sounds really good. Um, I want to be mindful of of your time, Alex. And um, yeah, so I want to uh, thank you. Um, how can people get in touch with you?
1: Um, so uh, social media, um, Instagram is just Alex and Abnet. That's A L E X. I N A B N E T. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn. Just search my name and also Facebook. Um, my, you know, love getting out my cell phone number. It's 318 780 6513. Call or text me. Happy to chat about any um, future investment opportunities or if you're involved in the San Diego, Tampa, or Austin markets. Um, and yeah, you know, feel free to reach out anytime amazing i feel like the time went too quickly alex thank you yeah, so much good. absolutely john this was great thanks for uh listening to me ramble
0: <laughs> not at all and um, we'll be back next week thank you for
1: listening to the investories podcast we all have a story
0: what's yours the investories podcast